Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Just a quick trigger warning, this episode contains mentions of violence against children so if that's going to traumatize you that's totally fine uh just wanted to give you a bit of a heads up hello and welcome to loose units the shadow files back in 1932 on march the 1st at about 9 p.m charles augustus Lindbergh, a 20 month year old baby and the son of a very famous aviator was taken from his home in new jersey The kidnapping triggered an incredibly vast manhunt and frankly changed the way that law enforcement dealt with kidnappings in the United States forever. Now, last week, we looked at the kidnapping itself, some of the evidence that was found and some of the history behind Charles Lindbergh, the the father, the aviator in question. Dad, we only really began to scratch the surface of the actual investigation, so I thought this week we would start with the litany of ransom notes. Now, we talked about the first ransom note, We talked about the grammar, and if I recall correctly, which I'm pretty sure I do, you asked me if anything in the ransom notes stuck out as odd, and I said the thing that I flagged straight away was the misspelling of the word good as good, G-U-T, and I said it probably, it seems like it's a non-English speaker. There was a weird sort of watermark seal thing in the bottom right-hand corner. So it wasn't the only ransom note to be received, was it? No, in my... um... In my research, uh, I don't think there'd be a case, possibly ever, in Mm. the annals of true crime, where so many ransom notes were received. Um, And I think we should, at this juncture, say the number. And the number is the equivalent of when you buy um, eggs. How many eggs do you get? Well, I get half dozen, but you're saying... Twelve. Wow. 12 ransom notes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Incredible. And this particular person or persons mm. involved, um, I was looking at their handwriting this morning and it's, it's, it's terrible handwriting. But the person was 
very, very fastidious. I'm not, this is not a spoiler, but I would like to say, because it's just whilst it's fresh in my mind, many, many, many suspects, many people, uh, of course, the police in these situations always have to, um, you know, tend and deal with hundreds of crazy people, people that just want to get involved, false leads, false suspects, people that want notoriety. Mm. Paul Al Capone got involved. What? Yes, some of the biggest gangsters and gangs in New York and and America uh, were all uh, sort of volunteering to give um, help and to sort of curry favour, I guess one would have to say. You know, they all thought Mm. the notoriety was that where they could, you know, the tentacles of their connections. So I know that sometimes people in organised crime try and... Um, they want legitimacy, so they'll get involved in legitimate practices, charity, right. and helping a folk hero get his kid back oh, is obviously imagine, a pretty. Imagine the kudos. Oh, yeah. For someone, you know, I mean, in the in the upper echelon of American gangsters, of which uh, mm-hmm. you know they're notorious. Um, if you could sort of uh, you know carry favour with uh, you know the head of the FBI, for example, who was a known crossdresser. Uh, yeah, that that's a whole other story. Oh. Jade Gehoover, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so the first note was requesting fifty thousand US dollars, and that was the one found on the windowsill of the nursery. And last week, I said uh, it's entirely possible that if the ladder broke, because mm. I was saying it's possible that the ladder broke on the way down, the kid dies, but it's too late to get the note back. Mm. So Except, they found footprints, okay. bits of go on, yeah. go on. But Paul, the thing is, I've mm. I've gone through and thoroughly examined all the photographs of. That were presented as evidence. Now, okay. some of some of the photographs have been redacted, uh, mainly the ones in terms of, ah, uh, yep, yep, yeah, yep. you know what. But yep. the ladder mm. is actually in very, very good condition. Okay, so it, it doesn't look like the no, thing I said happened. No, happened. No, and uh, but at the time it seemed like a fair point. Now, about a week later, in fact, on mm. March the sixth, they get, and this is Colonel Lindbergh. He receives yeah. the second ransom note. Now you is that will recall the same. Now the amount's gone up. Yeah, I was going to say traditionally with a kidnapping, is it normal for the amount to go up and up and up and up? Is that a normal? I don't thing? think so. Okay. No, five or six days have gone by. Yep. And the initial note was fifty, mm. and the second note, the the ransom has increased to seventy thousand. Now. It was postmarked Brooklyn, New York on March the 4th. Mm-hmm. So it was mailed four days after the first note was found in the child's bedroom. It was. It took two days, which is bizarre, for the note to actually reach Lindbergh. Right. And immediately the police, the local police in Trenton, New Jersey, called a press conference and... There were lots and lots of people involved, of course. Mm-hmm. And what happened was the um, the attorney of the Lindbergh family, his name was Colonel Henry Breckenridge, mm-hmm. he was um, going to be the the go to person, the intermediary. You always need an intermediary with you know, with 
ransom, hostages, kidnappings. There's always someone that has to be, uh, you know, trusted. And the kidnapper was obviously following everything in great detail. This would have been a very, very public affair. And the media sure. played a very serious role, an important role in that they were, I guess, inadvertently, uh, you know, creating a pathway, uh, communications pathway between kidnapper slash kidnappers. And in this case, uh, the Lindbergh's attorney. And then on March the 8th, um, the ransom note received, that's the third note received by the attorney. Mm -hmm. And the ransom note said that the intermediary appointed by the Lindberghs would not be accepted. Okay. Mm. And simultaneously, um, out of the blue, a Dr. John F. Condon from the Bronx, and remember that the Bronx is where the first, or the sorry, the second kidnap note was postmarked. Um, He was a retired school principal, and he publishes a, a letter in the Bronx Home News, completely autonomous and independent of everything that's happening. And he says in this newspaper that he's prepared to be the go-between. And also, weirdly, without communicating with the family, uh, offers to pay an additional $1,000 ransom. Now, what do you make of that, Paul? I really don't know. Mm. Uh, I I mean, look... Condon's going to become a bit of a feature in this story. Hmm. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. it's interesting that he felt that if he, without mm-hmm. communicating with the Lindbergh family, if he, so we were talking at that stage, the ransom had gone from 50 to 70,000 and he figures, look, let's say to the, the kidnapper kidnappers, uh, let's make it 71,000. I think it's interesting because what he's saying is that if he makes it a little bit more, then maybe that's going to possibly swing things. And so, Paul, this is when the case absolutely gets so fascinating. So the following day, um, now there's a code they're going to use in the newspaper. Okay. And the code is Jaffsy. Uh, I don't know what that means. Is but- that meant to be, is that the alias of the kidnapper? Um. I'm not sure. I don't know. Because it says, yeah. I, the Okay. So, so, so Dr. Condon is doing these negotiations, mm. right? Well, and firstly, firstly, Paul, Colonel Lindbergh. Yep. He agrees. Yeah. To Dr. Condon becoming the, the, the go-between. Yeah. So it's approved by the family. Mm-hmm. Then on March the 10th, which is nine days after the kidnapping, the doctor, the retired school principal, he receives $70,000 in cash from the family. Mm-hmm. And then he begins to start to commence negotiations. Yep. Now, to, to, to negotiate with the kidnapper, he uses a column in the local newspaper. Okay. Yep, now, that's okay. where he uses the code name Jaffsy. Now, around about two days later, in the evening of March the 12th, 
the doctor receives an anonymous phone call. And he also, like, he gets the call, but he also receives the fifth ransom note. The fifth ransom note is delivered to Dr. Condon's home by a taxi cab driver. And he received the ransom note from an unidentified stranger. Now, it, it's very, very clever. It's cryptic. It's, a, it's like a really good spy film. The message that the, the good doctor gets is simply a note to say where the next message is going to be found. It's a real sort of a... It's a how would you describe it, Paul, where you've got so many sort of stages in... I mean, was it a sort of an anti... Um, you know, one of those tests, and you sometimes see them in Hollywood films. There's a classic with Clint Eastwood where he's dealing with a kidnapper yeah. and he chases him. You know, he runs him that night through all the tunnels. He has to get to the, the phone and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he has to pick up the phone and then it's and that's a young girl's life is, 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 is hanging by the thread. So it's pretty full on. And, you know, this person is he's clever. He's, uh, you know, the systems that he's using are, are, are interesting. And he says that you'll find another note underneath a stone in a vacant block of land. Oh my God, this is 100 getting... feet from an outlying yeah. substation, subway station. Jesus. And this is the sixth note. And then in the note, and while he's waiting for instructions... He is met by an unidentified man whose name is John and they meet at the Woodlawn Cemetery. Then they talk about payment of the money and the the doctor, the retired principal, says, look, we need some proof. We need to know. and That the, the child's alive. That the child's alive. And yep. he, he asks for a, for a token, you know, of the child's identity. And... Yep. Now, Condon, uh, the doctor, he was accompanied by a bodyguard, but the bodyguard was with him up until the point where he got to talk to this unidentified person by the name of John. And mm-hmm. then then over the next few days, communicating through the newspaper, everything is agreed upon in terms of the willingness to pay the ransom. And this, By the way, this seems so far outside the remit of a, of a civilian. I mean... Okay, so hang on. So what are the what what gets delivered as proof of life or okay, proof so, that they've got that they've got the baby? All right. So the doctor receives on March the sixteenth the baby's sleeping suit. Okay, and together with the baby's sleeping suit, that is identified by the parents. Sleeping suit. You know, like a little child's. You know, you 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 like a little kids. romper, a little kind of like the, what the stuff the kids was wearing when it was kidnapped. Yeah, basically is what you're yeah. Saying. yeah, okay. And, so and a small right, okay. And the parents identify the little suit, yeah, and okay. together with the um, with the little baby outfit, mm-hmm. is a seventh ransom note, and then an eighth ransom note. Is received on the twenty first. Now, now we're talking around about three weeks from the time the baby was kidnapped, and the the 
family begin to realise through the um, this middleman or this person, this anonymous person by the name, the mystery man called John, that he actually says that this kidnapping had been planned for a year. And then on March the 29th, so we're talking yeah. tw- four weeks later, uh-huh. the Lindbergh had a family nurse and she finds the baby's thumb guard. Now, I'm just wondering what a thumb guard is. Is it a, a thumb thing over the second. thumb to stop the baby biting its nails? Let me just uh, check. I'm, I'm literally, yeah. Dad, I'm literally going to Google it. Uh, I mean, I've looked it up and thumb guard seems like a pretty new thing, but it's apparently to stop kids sucking their thumbs. But I don't oh, know. No, that, that's, yeah, that's plausible. Plausible, but I mean, this is a modern thing, I thought. Mm. Anyway. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Anyway, so this thumb guard is found um, near the entrance to the estate. Sure. And then what happens is that the family receive the ninth uh, ransom note. And this time, the demand, so it's gone from 50000 the first note left in the kid's bedroom, to 70000 Now yep. it's gone to $100,000. And the person is not going to use a code for the newspaper columns anymore. Uh-huh. And then a tenth random note. It was received by Dr. Condon on April the 1st. So it's a month later. And it says you have to have the money ready for the following evening. And then there's an ad in the press. And then the 11th ransom note yeah. is delivered on the 2nd of April by an unidentified taxi driver who received okay. it from an unknown man. Yep. And it tells him to go to a location and underneath a stone, he finds the 12th ransom note. Unbelievable. 
Is there any hope at this point? Is there any is there any realistic hope at this point from the Limbergs that their child is still alive? Because it feels like the, the the level of stringing on here and the God, I guess you're going to cling to whatever hope you can, right? I know, I know. Then, it, yep. then, as if things aren't bizarre enough, the same evening, yeah, uh, there were instructions in the twelfth note. He meets up with this John person. Oh, so okay. John, uh, yep, so the anonymous the, person. The doctor's still involved at this point. Okay, yep, yep, and yep. they try and negotiate the amount down to fifty thousand. Okay. And well, then, and then yeah. they give, they hand over the money. Condon actually meets the person, hands over fifty thousand dollars, and this yep. is this is one of these things I was going to talk about before that I will now is that the 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 stranger by the name of John receives the fifty thousand dollars. In exchange for the fifty thousand dollars, he gives the man a receipt for the money. And a thirteenth note. I think it's really fascinating, don't you, Paul, that he gets he has a receipt already written that he gives to the you know, the guy so, that's giving him the money. That to me is it's strange and it, uh, what does that tell you about the person? I mean I Yeah, I'm not sure. Is it something it's, about his private life that he's has followed through into his kidnapping life? It's really um, odd. It's very odd. Now the final yep. note um, which is the thirteenth note? It contains instructions as to where the child can be found. So it's a breakthrough, and the child can be found on a boat up in Martha's Vineyard, mm-hmm. and the boat's called Nelly. Then the stranger just walks into the into the darkness through the woods. And then the police and all the authorities begin to do a massive search. And they, they, they just can't find the little baby. Paul, on May the 12th, 1932, um, the body of the kidnapped baby was, was accidentally found, partly buried and badly decomposed, approximately four and a half miles southeast of the Lindbergh home. Now, I knew this was coming, by the way, but that doesn't make it any easier to hear. I mean, it's... Yeah, no, it's I know. Te- it's terrible. 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 Um, it, was, it was an accidental discovery. And we know throughout the annals of true crime and a lot of cases that we've done is people yeah. sometimes just come across bodies. It happens all the time. And this was just a, a, this was a truck that just yeah. pulled up in the middle of nowhere <clears throat> and 45 feet from the highway we're talking maybe 15, 15 metres, which is nothing. Yeah. 15 good footsteps. And there, there's the poor little baby. The coroner's examination, we're not going to go into it, but I will just say that the, the, the young baby had been dead for around about two months and oh, there was a massive shit. blow to the head. Okay, so at this juncture, Paul, let's, let's talk about, between the two of us, uh-huh. uh, what we feel may have happened. You know, what do you think may have happened? Look, my assumption when I heard there was a head wound on the child was, yeah, my falling down the ladder, accidentally killing the kid and then stringing the family on for months. That was my theory. But what's what's your theory? 
I've always believed that the person had inside information. You don't just rock up to a house on an estate owned by one of the most famous people in the world. Right. Carrying a, a ladder that you put together rather cleverly and just happen to know in this mansion which window is the window of the person you're going to abduct. Yeah. Are you going to go to all that planning if you if things are not sort of set up for you? I mean, I've mentioned the window. Uh, you know, you'd want to make damn sure that that window was unlocked, wouldn't you? Because that'd yeah. be hard to explain. Mr. Lindbergh walks out and sees a man up a ladder mm -hmm. and you kind of could talk your way out of it prior to the crime. Uh, you could you could say you're, you're a tradesman and you received a call that you've got a leaking gutter. Look, you, there are ways. I'm sure that if um, Mr. Lindbergh had have come out or the wife or a member of staff and seen a man up a ladder, uh, okay, it might be slightly suspicious, but I don't think that people would be thinking, wow, this guy is going to scale this ladder and then go in and kidnap the kid. I just... You'd assume some sort of repairman, some sort of janitor, maintenance, something like that. Sure, you could talk your way out of it. But my one of the things that I find astounding is how the, the kid ostensibly made no noise, which makes me think... Oh, no. Was there ever any intention to, to keep the baby? Um, I don't think it's an accident, the, the blow to the head. When the blow happened, it, I've been to a lot of murders with, with um, you know, blows to the head and people sleeping in cots and prams and hammers and all sorts of bad stuff. So I don't believe that that particular part of the crime occurred in the bedroom. I'm not quite sure how he can pick up a baby and the baby doesn't wake up and start screaming as it's taken towards a window out into the, the night air. So then we've got the thing about the backpack, which makes sense. I don't think you would climb down a ladder. Mm -hmm. um, no, I just don't see that. I don't, I've got in and out of windows in the fire brigade using ladders. And no, it's just not, there's so many things about this story. I mean, was there someone in the room that handed the baby to him once he'd got out? Uh, we don't know. Was the baby alive at the bottom of the stairs, uh, the ladder? He then leaves the estate. Did the baby start screaming and he lost his temper and just, you know, it, the baby, the fact that it's buried relatively close to the property, uh, he must've had a vehicle. He's driven. Maybe the baby was screaming completely and he just completely unraveled and thought what the fuck am i doing and and he's, he's killed the baby and, and buried it by the side of the road and still being able to continue on with this this deception and giving the parents false hope whether or not he was going to keep the baby alive and return it or he never had that intention i don't know paul there's not a lot been written about this I can't find anything. So we can just surmise what happened. And then, of course, all the different agencies get involved. And because of the status of uh, the Lindbergh family, the FBI got involved and reluctantly, as is often the case 
uh, in America. They become very, very, you know, the, the states and the local police become very territorial. Yeah. They don't yeah, they share don't like, information. Uh, it, that's it. It's about sharing credit, sharing info. It's, uh, yeah. So Franklin D. Roosevelt, the president of the United States of America, he yeah. had a meeting with Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI. Well, like we That's, said, folk hero, right? Yeah. And when the president gets involved and the head of the FBI and the president uh, said that he wants the FBI to be the overseer and to be able to use all their, 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 their experience and their contacts. And they one of the interesting things about the, um, the ransom, Paul, is that it was cash, but it was also gold certificates okay so and they'd taken all the serial numbers of the notes but they'd also taken clearly the the serial numbers of these gold certificates and these gold certificates are as good as cash and they could be used to you know to buy anything and the new york city bureau office the fbi they distributed copies they made up this pamphlet and they they gave it to every single person they could think of from banks to grocery stores and you know gasoline filling stations airports department stores post offices every single outlet where they felt these gold certificates might be uh might be used and you know months went by and they had so many Bizarre things happening. And one of the really fascinating and bizarre stories, Paul, was about a lady called Mrs. Evelyn Walsh McLean okay. of Washington. She knew a private investigator who was actually a con man, but her husband had used him with some investigations. And she felt that she might be able to help the Lindbergh family. Um, because no one knows that the child has passed away. We've sort of gone back in time a little bit here. And so she knows this particular guy who's done some work for the husband, and he says that he had been invited to a big kidnapping some weeks before, but he'd, right. he'd, he'd declined. And he says to this lovely lady... Evelyn McLean, who was clearly unbelievably wealthy and slightly naive and sweet, he manages to say to her that he's got contacts and he knows who the kidnappers are. And if she gives him $100,000 in cash, imagine that's almost $2 million cash today, this sweet, sweet lady hands over this $100,000 to this guy who, who is a con man and he he just takes the money and then he starts sort of delaying things by saying, oh, look, we're working on this case. Then they find the body. Then she says to the guy she'd given the $100,000 to, I want my money back. And he says, mm, sorry. And he just doesn't give her the money back. He gets arrested he gets convicted of embezzlement and he's sentenced to 15 years in a federal penitentiary. 
this is just a side story to how people, despicable people, use vulnerable people, you know, to, to their advantage. Yeah, and yeah, it brings out, it really does. I understand now sometimes why with kidnapping cases, they try not to make it public, you know, for yeah. as long as they can. Yeah, that's right. You understand why, you know. But then again, the public can be of some assistance too. And it is but, going back to the yeah. 30s, just after to, after the, the Great Depression. Yeah. And um, But look, Paul, there's a lot more to this story. There's a lot, lot more. There's a lot of experts that they have to bring in. Uh, yeah. And we haven't even located the um, the man, but do you think we should and, save that and, for next week? Oh, my God. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the conspiracy theories and there's theories that persist to this day. There's controversies involving politicians. It really does go off down some incredibly strange rabbit holes. So let's try... That's not an expression, but... I think what we'll do is we will finish this with a third parter next week, Dad. Honestly, I didn't think the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby would go this far. And I also know that typically speaking, we deal with Australian true crime, but sometimes there are, you know, we're trying to be Renaissance men with crime. And sometimes with true crime, there are, there are gaps in our knowledge and somebody will go, have you dealt with this crime before? And we will sit there, have a quick look and go, oh shit, this is going to be a big one. We should probably brush up and learn about this sort of... Um, fundamental aspect of the the annals of true crime and before we know it we're doing a three-parter on the Lindbergh kidnapping so we really appreciate all of you following us along this road uh, as we investigate this case it's it's been really uh fun's the wrong word fascinating it's absolutely fascinating watching how this stuff's been unfolding so please join us next week part three of our look at the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby and join us at the end of this week for another episode of loose ends but in the meantime i'm paul that's John, and thank you for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.